today on Graceful Truth, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, will take us back to Romans chapter 8 as we get a snapshot of who a Christian is. Join us. And again, we welcome you to our broadcast, Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church right here in Redwood City. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. It's there that we catch up with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, for today's broadcast, simply entitled, Who is a Christian? The Apostle Paul lays it out rather clearly. Have questions about your relationship with Christ? Join us. Today will be very beneficial. Let's catch up with Pastor Steve now, shall we? For today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church right here in Redwood City. We're commanded to walk by means of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And we're commanded to be filled, continually filled or controlled by the Spirit of Christ in Ephesians 5.18. But if you've been born again and you trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord, you do not need to receive the Holy Spirit because you already have the Holy Spirit. He dwells in every believer. Paul states it even negatively in verse 9. He says, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So he covers both sides, the positive and the negative, just so we get it right. If you have the Spirit, you belong to Christ, which means he bought you with his blood, that you are not your own. You're his slave. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20, Paul also combines the idea of the indwelling Holy Spirit and belonging to Christ. He says this, or do you not know that your body is a what? temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you, listen to this, are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I can't help but think that the church would be very, very, very different today, church in general, not just this church, but all churches, if everyone would live daily in the reality of that truth. You know what? I am not my own. I belong to Jesus Christ. Repeat that when you get out of bed in the morning. You know what? My tongue is not my own. So therefore, I shouldn't be using my tongue to yell at my wife or my family members when I'm upset. I should be using it to glorify Christ. My eyes are not my own. Therefore, I shouldn't be looking lustfully at a woman or images that would dishonor Christ. I should use my eyes to glorify Christ. My money is not my own. I don't get to use it just however I please. I must use it to glorify Christ. My time is not my own to squander on whatever I want. I need to use it to serve and to glorify Christ. Parents, try this. My children are not my own. They're entrusted to me to be raised up to love and serve God. See, we, we, we really get it messed up, don't we? 
We forget all these things. And yet that's a very life transforming principle. The mark of being a Christian is the spirit dwells in you and now you belong to Christ. Notice how Paul interchanges these terms here in these verses. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in verse 2. Why? Because he imparts the new life to us in Christ. In verse 9, he calls it the Spirit of God, indicating that he is God, the Spirit is God, and that he carries out God's purposes. He's called the Spirit of Christ because Christ sent him to the church when he returned to the Father. His role is to glorify Christ. See, when he was on earth, Jesus lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, Luke 4.1. He's also called the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead in verse 11 there. Why did he call him that? To emphasize that if he dwells in us, God will, through his spirit, resurrect this body one day. Paul moves easily from the spirit dwelling in us to Christ dwelling in us. One commentator says, what this means is not that Christ and the spirit are equated or interchangeable, but that Christ and the Spirit are so closely related in communicating to believers the benefits of salvation that Paul can move from one to the other almost unconsciously. Texts like these provide the raw materials from which the church later hammered out the doctrine of the Trinity. I mean, it's absolutely vital to have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Because if you do not, you do not belong to Christ. But you know what? You're probably sitting there going, okay, but how do we know? (laughs) Right? How do we know if the Spirit dwells in us? Do I get some warm, fuzzy feeling? Does my head begin to glow? I mean, my glows anyway because I don't have hair, but... You get a tingling sensation? I remember one day a family came and they sat through the worship service and on their way out at the door they were saying, oh, we just, we just sensed the Spirit. We sensed the Spirit in this place. We sen-. They kept on saying that. And I get what they were saying. Don't get me wrong. I understood. But that's not what that's about. How do we know whether or not the Spirit indwells you. Second point here, B, there are distinguishing marks by which you can tell if the Spirit indwells you. After speaking to Nicodemus about his new birth, Jesus drew an analogy between the effects of the wind and the effects of the Spirit there in John 3. Um, You can see the effects of the wind. All right? You can see the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. I mean, stop and think about it. When a piece of paper blows by you, out in the, you're out in the field or out in the street, and you see a paper, piece of paper blow by you, you don't, you don't look at that piece of paper and go, wow, look, it's alive. That would be ridiculous. You wouldn't say that. You realize it's a, it doesn't have any life. It's a piece of paper. It's not flying under its own power like a bird or something like that. You would assume that the wind is blowing it. So it is with the Spirit of God. You can't see the Spirit, but you know what? You can see His effects. You can see the effects of the Spirit in your own life. In Romans 8, Paul shows a number of things that the Spirit does. 
Verse 2, he says he sets you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 6, he gives us new life and peace with God. Verse 11, he's going to raise our mortal bodies. Verse 13, he enables us to kill our sin. We're going to look at that next week. Verse uh, verse 16, he testifies to us that we are children of God. Verse 26, he helps us to pray. In verses 7 to 8, by the way, the Spirit reconciles us to God and enables us to submit to his word and to please him. I mean, that's not a comprehensive list. That's just some of the things the Spirit of God does. But here's one negative to start off this little list. You have it in the outline there. And I just want to hit this because it's such a vital thing today in in the church in general. All the other ones are positive, but the first one was negative. Speaking in tongues is not a sign that the Spirit of Christ dwells in you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to make it very clear. We have to discuss this point because a lot of the Pentecostal denominations claim that speaking in tongues is a sign that you have the Holy Spirit. But that's contrary to what Paul's statement is. Because he says that all do not have the gift of tongues. (laughs) In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30. So by that definition, if you don't have the gift of tongues, you don't have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, then you're not a Christian. you got a problem. It's debatable whether or not, you know, you can, I'll give you that. It's not debatable in my mind or in this church. But, you know, whether you believe in the gifts for today or not, we don't. We're cessationists here. We believe that they had a certain purpose and a certain time. And, and God moved on from that. And that's pretty much what history bears out. But you see a lot of the stuff today called tongues. It's nothing more than babble. It's nothing more than somebody just blah, 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 just going berserk with their, their lips and their tongue and just making up whatever. Whereas in the, in the book of Acts, the word for tongue was always language. It was a language, something that people could hear, something that somebody could discern and understand. And you say, well, what about the interpreter? It says that some have the gift of interpretation. Yeah, back in that time, because there were so many people from all over the world that came to hear the gospel, these men from Galilee didn't speak all these different languages, so God gave them the ability to speak supernaturally a language they didn't even know. If someone was here from Germany this morning, and and they needed to hear the gospel in, in German, and all of a sudden God allowed me to start speaking in German. That would be weird because I took French in high school and I don't remember a lot of that. So, I mean, it would be really weird. I do like gummy bears, though. I think they're from Germany. But anyway, I just remember in high school, it was the German kids, that, or the kids that took German, that always had, they did sales and they, they'd sell gummy bears. And I just fell in love with them from that point on. But anyway, just a side note. I don't know what that has to do with anything. But if I started speaking in German and somebody out there said, wow, I'm, I'm hearing this guy speak in German. That's amazing. And he's preaching the gospel. And that person's convicted. Well, what are the rest of you that don't speak German going to do? Sit there and uh, what's going on? <laughs> okay. Well, that's when God would raise up an interpreter, somebody that supernaturally could interpret. Wow. Okay. I'm going to share this in German. Okay, that's what that was all about. It was, it was a supernatural thing that happened. It wasn't something that you had to generate within yourself. And so a lot of even non-Christians today experience this phenomenon called speaking in tongues. People like Mormons, a lot of people in the Catholic Church, a lot of people in other cults experience speaking in tongues. And I guarantee you it's not by the Spirit of God. 
So positively, what about this? If the spirit of Christ dwells in you, you have experienced new birth. You may not remember the exact time or the exact place, but you know that the spirit of God has changed your heart. You know somehow something happened. You just know it. Second or thirdly there, if the spirit dwells in you, you are drawn to Jesus Christ and you desire to know and honor him. Very clear. That's just going to be a desire. You're not going to have to generate that. It's going to happen. Also, you have been flooded with God's love so that you have hope in him. That the the hope of the gospel have just filled your heart and your soul. You regard scripture, fifthly, as his word of truth. And you are growing to understand it. You know, after I became a Christian, nobody had to sit down and say, you know, do you believe the Bible to be God's word? Of course I did. I mean, I was, came from a Catholic background, so I already believe that. But, uh, you know, I've never, you know, understood sometimes when people who claim to be Christians, and yet the very truth they're studying, they're questioning. They're doubting. They're not believing that it's God's word. And then the last thing there, his fruit is growing in your life, and the deeds of the flesh are diminishing. In other words, you should be, see a curve going on there. Um, It's not the last thing, sorry. Seventh, you're having a growing hatred towards sin and a love of holiness. All right? You'll be growing in praise, joy, thankfulness toward God. You'll be growing in your prayer life. You'll want to tell others about Christ. Nobody's going to have to convince you to do that. You're just going to want to do it. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But when you receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. It doesn't say, maybe you'll be my witness. No, it says, you will be my witnesses. You're not going to be able to restrain yourself. Because you're going to be filled with so much gratitude and the grace of God and the love and the joy. You're just going to have to scream it out to people. And we've all been around Christians that are like that. You know, they get saved and boy, they they just got to evangelize the whole earth, right? It's like, okay, you know, you might want to learn a little bit more before you start. But but it's good. I I love the the, the fervency in which they share Christ. And a lot of times it turns other people off. But, um, you know, hey, glory be to God. So here at verse 9, if you belong to Christ, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. And if he's the spirit of life. Some people say, then, then why do believers die? Well, the second point here is we who are in the Spirit are still subject to the physical death, even though the Spirit has given us new life. Just because we have the Spirit dwelling in us, it doesn't make our bodies supernatural. He says, if Christ is in you, in verse 10, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. The body means the physical body. When you become a Christian, it doesn't guarantee you this body is going to live forever. We're dead because of sin. That's the curse of death. That's from the very way back, Adam and Eve kind of stuff. We all die physically because Adam sinned. And that death remains as a penalty on the whole entire human race until Christ's work is finished, consummated, completed. That's what, why the Romans says that the, the, the creation is groaning. You know, it's yearning for this change to happen. So you have to really put that in perspective. So even though we're renewed in our spirit, one day we will, we will die. And that kind of 
puts us in a tight spot because we have the spirit of Christ living in us and yet we still have this old dead body that we're trying to make obey. And that's why Paul, earlier, we went through this part where he says, you know, I've got to beat my body. I've got to you know, beat it into subjection. We'll get to that. Well, the third thing here also is we who are in the spirit have the promise that he who raised Jesus from the dead will also resurrect our mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in us. The instant we die physically as believers, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Now, our bodies are going to kind of be here on earth and decompose, whatever. But the instant Jesus returns, God will give us new resurrection bodies, which will be suited for the new heavens and the new earth and and all that stuff. It's going to be kind of neat. When you study the, the resurrected body of Jesus, he does a lot of cool stuff. You know, so it's, it's something to look forward to. Um, he'll give us that kind of a resurrection body. It's a physical body, but it's not subject to disease or, or death. It's a supernatural kind of glorified body. Um, so when you, when you stop and think of that, it's kind of a, a, a pretty interesting thing. And it doesn't matter, by the way, what happens to your body um, I mean, I know tradition says, you know, burial is the Christian way. That's fine. Okay. But, you know, whether you're buried or you die at sea and you're buried in the, in the ocean and your body's eaten by sharks or you're blew up in an explosion and you're all over the place, who knows, or, or you're decomposed in the grave, it doesn't matter. God has the ability to resurrect all those pieces and parts and put them, you know, into this indestructible resurrection body. And so don't worry yourself at night about things like that. Well, I just want to close with this little illustration because I think it's, it's, it's good. Ironside was a, a, Harry Ironside was a wonderful pastor. And he pastored the, the famous Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. And whenever I think of our Christian life as something that's past, present, future, this kind of illustration pops up in my mind. And, and I want to share it with you this morning. Um, he told this when he was teaching through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And it provides a similar outline, you might say, as far as past, present, and future of the Christian experience. And so Ironside one day was riding on the train in Southern California. And one Saturday, when a gypsy got on the train and sat beside him. How do you do, gentlemen? She said. You like to have your fortune told? Cross my palm with a silver quarter, and I will give you your past, your present, and your future. Are you very sure that you can do that? Ironside responded. You see, I'm Scottish, and I wouldn't want to spend a quarter and not get my full value for it. The gypsy was very earnest. Yes, gentlemen, I can give you your past, your present, and your future. I will tell you it all. Ironside then said this, It is not really necessary for me to have my future told because I have had it told already. It's written in a book. And by the way, I have the book in my pocket. The gypsy kind of pulled back. You have the book? It's written in a book? Yes, Ironside said. It's absolutely infallible. Let me read it to you. He then reached in his pocket. He pulled out his New Testament. He began to read from chapter 2 of Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins. 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. This is my past, he said. The woman had been startled when he pulled out the New Testament from his pocket and was now trying to get away. That is plenty, that is plenty, she protested. I do not want to hear any more. Oh, but wait, Ironside said, there is more. Here is my present too. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. No more, no more, the gypsy protested. But, said Ironside, you must hear my future. And you're not going to have to pay me a quarter for it. I am going to give it to you for nothing. It says in order that the ages, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. By now the gypsy was halfway down the aisle of the train saying, I picked the wrong man, I picked the wrong man. I want to ask you this morning, what is your past, your present, your future look like? Christians are people who have had their past altered before they were dead in trespasses and sin, but now they are alive in Christ. Their present has been altered as well. They've been awakened by the, to the reality of God and have the spirit of Christ dwelling within them to help them discern and understand his holy word. And their future has changed as well. For in time, death will overcome and they will be raised in a new resurrected body, like the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. And they will be with God and Jesus Christ forever. My question to you this morning, beloved, is are you a Christian? I I ask you by all means, answer that question of yourself. Father, we ask this morning that you would help us To remember that we are saved by grace. It's not something we've done. That it's by your glorious grace that any one of us can claim Christ. And yet, I fully believe that there may be some here who have yet to see that come to fruition in their own life. Lord, I pray that they would not rest until they rest in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would stir their heart. That you would cause them to be restless in their spirit until they answer affirmatively that question, do you belong to Christ? That they would come before you, a holy God, knowing that they're a sinner, pleading you, begging you to forgive them, to make them new, to cause this transformation that others have experienced to happen in their life. Lord, this isn't something we deserve. This is something that's granted by your grace and your mercy. And Father, we pray that you would help us to remember that as well as believers when we leave this building and go out into a lost and dying world who is yet to respond to the gospel of Christ. That we would be passionate and yet still be patient. That we would not place upon them a moral expectation that they cannot fulfill, but that we would come alongside them 
being willing to share the truth of the message of the glorious, forgiving gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we're obedient to do so, I pray that some would turn to you by your grace and see this transformation take place in their own lives. Father, we thank you and we pray this morning that you would bless our fellowship after this time over in the fellowship hall, bless the food of our bodies. We pray that you would just give us a good day. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-366. 9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app. New and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City CA. Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth.